Thank you, Bill, for reading our scripture tonight. We are going to be looking at Matthew chapter 9, the passage that was read a moment ago. Uh, before we begin tonight, I do want to express appreciation for your presence tonight. I know it's a cold, damp evening, but we're glad that you're here and we're very grateful for the opportunity to be together. The privilege that we have to be together and to worship and to enjoy fellowship with one another. Tonight, I want us to look at an interesting passage of Scripture as recorded by Matthew in chapter 9. And the theme of our study tonight, Help Wanted. Believe it or not, the Lord needs you. He needs all of us. And He wants us to be productive in His kingdom. There are so many things that we can do. There are so many people that we have the opportunity to reach. And so, hopefully and prayerfully, we will respond favorably to opportunities that lie before us and to do our best to expand the borders of the kingdom by teaching and letting others know about Jesus. In our study tonight, I want to call attention to verses 35 and following down to verse 38. And as we think about what Jesus said in this context, in verse 37, Jesus, having seen the multitudes, said, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And so in light of what the Lord said on this occasion, I think of the importance of enlisting help in his kingdom. And Jesus, as I said a moment ago, he needs you, he wants you to be a viable, productive worker in his kingdom. And there are so many things that you can do. There are so many people that you have the ability to reach. And so hopefully and prayerfully we will use the talents or abilities that God has blessed us with to exalt His name and to bring honor and glory to Him. I want to begin tonight by first of all calling attention to the fact that Jesus saw people in the harvest. Listen again to what Matthew records beginning in verse 35. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when He saw the multitudes, He was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Jesus on this occasion demonstrated compassion and concern for the multitudes before him. You know, sometimes if we're not careful, we see the multitudes, but we fail to see the individual. I think Jesus had the innate ability to see not just the multitudes, but the people. In other words, he could see every single person comprising a multitude of people. And so when you look at the life of Jesus, you see him on many, many occasions coming in contact, not with just multitudes of people, but oftentimes the scriptures will talk about how he spent time individually with people. Jesus had time for people. And as I look at this particular passage of scripture, I think about the fact that Jesus was touched by what he saw. Listen again to what Matthew says. When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered. Did you know that Jesus is touched by what he sees in our lives? I think if we're not careful sometimes, we 
have this idea that Jesus is unmoved by our plight in life. And that's not the case. The Lord Jesus sees each and every individual. He understands every single thing that we go through in life. And as Matthew said, He is moved with compassion. He has the ability to feel what we feel. Jesus has the ability to sympathize with us. He understands, doesn't He? Not only does Jesus understand, but He cares. I mentioned a moment ago that Jesus had compassion and care for the multitude. And I would say tonight that Jesus demonstrates compassion and care for us and concern. Matter of fact, He cares for each and every single person. We are unique and special before Him. And so He was touched by what he saw. And listen to what Matthew said, because they were weary, they were drained or distressed, exhausted, tired, wearied by life. And you think about how people in our world today are wearied physically. There are many, many people in our world today, tonight, who are wearied to the point of exhaustion emotionally the mental stress and burdens that they bear and have been bearing over days and weeks and months and years, incredible. And then, yes, there are those who are burdened and wearied, spiritually speaking. And yet you remember Jesus a little bit later in his ministry would say, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy heavy laden. Jesus has the ability to provide rest to those of us who are wearied and distressed and drained from life. Not only was Jesus touched by what he saw, but I believe that he was troubled by what he saw. Listen again as Matthew speaks. When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Here were people that were without direction in life. And you think about how many people in our world today, and we could narrow that scope down, to how many people in this community and in this Mid-South area lack direction and purpose in their life. Jesus saw people as weary and scattered, like sheep having no shepherd, no one to care for them, no one to guide and to guard and to protect, to give them security. Are there not many people like that in our world today? The answer is yes. Look around. There are many, many people, young and old, some rich, some poor, some male, some female. I mean, there are so many people in our world today They are, as we would say, rudderless in life. Just no direction. They are aimlessly going through life. And that's the picture of the people here. You've got this great multitude of people. And they lack direction. They're drained. They're weary. They're tired. They're exhausted. They're burdened. There's no direction. There's no purpose in life. And so Jesus was touched by what he saw. And I would remind us tonight that Jesus is touched 
by what he sees in our lives. You know, there were many, many people in days gone by, and I guess there are people today who would agree with us that there is a God who created the world, but their idea is that God is far removed from the universe and the lives of people. That God is not interested in the complexities and problems and trials and difficulties that we face in life, but that's not true. God is acutely aware of everything going on in life. And I would encourage you to read Psalm 139 sometime. And note, if you would, the psalmist David, as he speaks to the fact that God is all-knowing, that He is ever-present and all-powerful. That's the God that we serve. There's a second thing that I think we see in this text. First, Jesus saw the people in the harvest. And then secondly, Jesus saw potential in the harvest. Listen, if you would, to verse 37. Matthew said, the Lord made this statement to the disciples. The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Jesus saw something about the desirability of the soul, didn't he? I mean, don't you think that Jesus knows something about the human soul? I mentioned a moment ago that Jesus had the ability to look beyond the multitudes. Yes, he saw a multitude of people. But Jesus had the ability to look beyond the multitude to see behind every face a human soul. A soul in need of redemption. A soul in need of reconciliation. So you come back and you ask the question, okay, why, Lord? Why were you on earth? What did you come to earth for? What was your purpose? Remember Jesus said, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Do you remember in chapter 9, back up and note if you would, Jesus in the home of Matthew. Matthew, of course, a tax collector, called into service by Jesus. Verse 10, the Bible tells us that as Jesus sat at the table in the house, that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Jesus came for a purpose, didn't he? That purpose was to redeem and reconcile fallen man. When man sinned in the Garden of Eden, mankind became estranged or separated from his God. Jesus, of course, the promised seed announced by God in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, would be the mediator that would ultimately bring the two parties together. And so if you want to sum up really what the Bible's all about, it's about redemption, it's about reconciliation, isn't it? And the Bible says that it is in Him, in Jesus, that we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. That's Ephesians 1.7. In chapter 2, verse 16, Paul said that Jesus reconciled both Jew and Gentile in one body unto God through the cross. So Jesus came to redeem, to reconcile fallen humanity. He saw something 
in the desirability, or really, he recognized the desirability of the soul. And let me just ask this question tonight. How much do you value your soul? What kind of monetary value would you place on your soul? Truth of the matter is, your soul is not for sale, is it? Not enough money in the world. There are not, there are not enough material goods in this world to buy your soul. Your soul is extremely valuable. There's no way we could put a value on that. But if you want some insight into the value of your soul, look to the cross. Because Jesus went to the cross and bore our sins in His body because He recognized the intrinsic value of the soul. That's how valuable we are in His eyes. And you think about here is a God in heaven. And we are the crown of His creation. And because we are of such great worth, as Paul said, He spared not His own Son, but freely gave Him up for us all. No wonder Paul said, thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. You think about what God through Christ has done for us, how could we not be grateful? The desirability of the soul, the value of the soul, your soul is more valuable than you will ever know. But then also Jesus knew something about the durability of the soul. Jesus recognized, first and foremost, the Lord Jesus knew something about the designer of the soul, didn't he? I mean, after all, God was the architect of creation. Jesus was the agent by which creation came into being. And the Bible tells us that we have been made in the image and the likeness of God, housed within this temporal tabernacle of flesh, is an eternal soul or spirit that will live forever. We are created beings. There will never be a time in which we do not exist. The durability of the soul. The fact that God in heaven created you. That we are fearfully and wonderfully made, as the psalmist said in Psalm 139. You know, the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 9, that God is the Father of our spirits. And so, he knew something about the designer, but he also knew something about the destiny of the soul. Now listen again to what he said. The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus knew something about eternal destiny. The Lord Jesus knew something about what lies ahead for every person. Where will we spend eternity? And we talk about the value of the soul and the fact that Jesus is enlisting laborers because as he said, the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. And Jesus sees multitudes and multitudes of people and you look at all the people that he had the opportunity to come in contact with. And behind every single face is a human soul. That human soul is going to live somewhere forevermore. 
either in heaven or hell. And the Lord wants everyone to be saved. As a matter of fact, Paul said God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So God wants people to be saved. And he understands that destiny, eternal destiny, lies before all of us. And his prayer, his plea, is that people would be saved. So that's why the need for laborers. Now there's a third thing I want you to see very quickly. That is, Jesus saw a problem with the harvest. First, he addressed the shortage of laborers. Listen again, verse 37, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. How many people live in our world? What, some 7 billion people? You ever seen 7 billion people in one place? The one place is the earth, isn't it? And you think about 7 billion people of varying ages, varying nationalities, varying backgrounds, every single person, a human soul, worthy of redeeming. And what Jesus is saying is the harvest is plenteous, but the shortage, we don't have enough laborers. And really I would use the word, there is an overwhelming shortage of laborers. Seven billion people. How are we going to reach all those people? We don't have the manpower to go door to door, do we? We have to use every opportunity before us, every tool available to reach the masses. And so what we have to understand is we, whether young or old, male or female, the Lord needs each of us to be involved. The Lord needs all of us to view ourselves as laborers in His kingdom. The harvest is great. The problem is we just don't have enough workers. We don't have enough laborers, do we? That's where we come in. That's where we are all important, aren't we? Because you see, we are the Lord's hands. We're His feet. We're His mouth. We're His eyes. We're His ears. We are we're the ground troops, so to speak. If the job is going to be done, it must be done by whom? By us. By us. So, the Lord addressed this great shortage of laborers. But then he appeals for a supply of laborers. Listen to what he said. Pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. What kind of laborers does the Lord need? Let me just cite for you four types of workers that I believe the Lord needs. Number one, I think he needs concerned laborers. And by using the word concerned, I mean we understand 
the gravity of the situation. We understand what's at stake. What is at stake? The eternal destiny of the lives of people. Do you remember back in the book of Romans in chapter 3 when Paul said, There is none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Do you remember in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 12 when Paul talked about those who are outside a covenant relationship with the Lord and he said they're without hope and without God in this world. Think about that for a minute. Those who have yet to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, they don't have any hope. They're lost. They're dying in sin and they are doomed without the blood of Christ in their lives. And then add to that those who are in the body of Christ who have, for whatever reason, gone back into the world. They too, in a lost condition. And so what the Lord is saying is He needs concerned laborers, people who are concerned about the hearts and lives of people, who are concerned about the lost. How concerned are you about the lost? When's the last time you reached out to somebody whether it be a classmate, a friend, a family member, co-worker? When's the last time you reached out to somebody and tried to talk to them about New Testament Christianity? Are we concerned enough to share the gospel? Second thing, we need committed laborers. There has to be a commitment to the Great Commission, doesn't there? Remember what Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Are we committed enough to the words of Jesus? Do we believe? You know, think about this for a minute. The Great Commission, it's not optional, is it? It's called a command. Jesus said, Go therefore, and you make disciples of all the nations. That's the intent of the Lord. Those are divine directions. And Jesus prefaced that by saying, all authority, all power has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. So here's the Lord Jesus before he ascends to heaven, and here are the marching orders. Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. And the assurance is those who believe and are baptized will be saved. Are we committed enough to Jesus to take to heart the Great Commission. And then there's a third, I think, component. The Lord needs convicted laborers. How convicted are you about what you read in this book? You remember the early church? Go back and read Start in chapter 1 in the book of Acts and read through chapter 10. And I promise you, you will come away. You will come away with the impression that those first century saints, they were convicted. Convicted about what they saw, convicted about what they heard. And it's no wonder that Peter and John would say, we can't but speak the things we've seen and heard. We need that kind of conviction today, don't we? Conviction that says, you know what, we're willing to share this message at all costs because we understand the Lord needs our help. 
And we do so not because, not because we feel pressured, but because we want to. There's a sense of urgency in our work. And then finally, I would say that the Lord needs confident laborers, doesn't He? Confident that, as Isaiah said many, many years ago in Isaiah chapter 55, that His Word will not return unto Him void. What we're saying is there is power in the gospel of Christ. You know, I think sometimes if we're not careful, we fail to see the multitudes as Jesus did. We fail to see the people. We fail to see the opportunities that lie ahead. Doors open, windows open, we fail to exercise those opportunities. And you look at the life of Jesus and you see that when opportunities arose, he exercised them. Same thing's true with the Apostle Paul and others. And so, to be confident that there are people out here in this world that as Jesus saw in the first century, there are people who are distressed, they're drained, they lack direction, they're weary. They're looking for something better. And the conviction is that God's Word is the answer. And that we have, we have the recipe, don't we? I mean, think about what you have. Don't you want other people to have that? And you think about how blessed you are and how good your life is. Don't you want others to, take, to taste that same good, good life? Sure you do. And so there's this sense of conviction. I think sometimes we weigh people off. And we have this idea, you know what, they wouldn't be interested. They, they, they wouldn't be interested in what I have. We don't know that. The fact of the matter is, many people are interested. They are looking for something better. They may not say that, but they are. So what you have, what I have, we ought to share it. I want to close by... Let me just call attention to something that I think in the life of Jesus. Look at Mark chapter 5 for just a minute. In Mark chapter 5, we have an account of Jesus casting demons out of a man. And the Bible tells us that this man identified himself as legion. Because as he said, we are many. That's down in verse 9 of chapter 5. Having cast those demons out, the Bible says down in verse 18 that Jesus got into the boat. He who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. Now listen to verse 19. But Jesus didn't permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends. And tell them what great things the Lord has done for you. How he's had compassion on you. Now you think about what you were and what you are. Somebody, whether it was your parents, a sibling, a mate, a friend, a co-worker, somebody had enough interest in you to share the gospel with you at some point in time in your life. This fella, this fella has come in contact with Jesus. His life has been radically changed. And he wanted to stay in the presence of Jesus, but Jesus said, no, here's what I need you to do. 
You go tell your friends what great things the Lord has done for you and how he's had compassion on you. Now listen to verse 20. And he departed and began to proclaim and to accomplish all that Jesus had done for him. And all marveled. Here's the point. Can't we do the same? Can't we go out and tell others what the Lord has done for us? How he's made a difference in our life and ultimately lead others to Jesus? The answer is yes. I would hope and pray that that you are more than willing to be used by the Lord. He needs your help. And I hope and pray that you're willing to help. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, as always, we encourage you to come to Christ. We want you to know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I don't believe you'd be here tonight if you didn't believe that. If you believe Jesus to be the Son of God and you would be willing to repent of your sins and confess His name before others, be baptized baptized into Christ, then you can go to bed tonight knowing with all assurance that all your sins are washed away. Acts 2 verse 38 says that we enjoy the remission of sins. The Lord puts us in the church, and that's the body of the saved, Ephesians 5, 23. And then if we'll be faithful until death, the promise is that crown of life, the victor's crown, can be yours. If you're here tonight, and maybe for whatever reason, your life's not what it ought to be, and you need the prayers of the church, you know, John said if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We'd be happy to pray with you and for you tonight. If for some other reason you just need the prayers of the church, could we pray with you and for you tonight as we stand and sing?